0: So I fought it. I made decisions against it because I stood for parliament. And I was the first non-white woman in the United Kingdom to stand for parliament. I had a big drum that I was beating. And I was the only non-white woman, that the first that had ever done that. That was a really long time ago. It was interesting. It turned out that I didn't know it was a big deal because I was flying in and out of Moscow. I was a lawyer and I was working. You know, I, I didn't understand Like, I got selected. I was like, thanks. Went off to Moscow to finish my day job, came back and answer phones. I had 57 messages and I had blown up my answer phone from every major TV, every major newspaper. I was on the front cover of everything.
1: Hello, hello there, Brave Table fam. Welcome back to another episode of The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Nitha, and this is your oasis, your destination for being all things a little bit more brave, brave in your actions and in your life and in your relationships. Now, I'm so excited for this episode today. This has been one that I've been so waiting for, and I'm just so excited because you're just gonna love this queen, this woman who has literally had several different lives. And she has had the high highs in her life, having Ferraris and Bentleys and an eight-seater private jet to becoming a single mom of three and having to start everything from scratch, being evicted from her home. And she's had two different sides of her story, having the rags to riches and then having the riches being taken from her and then having to rebuild that all over again. And she does this with such a fierceness, such a bold, unapologetic attitude that you're just absolutely going to love her she then created a organic food and juice delivery business in London called Nosh Detox. Now, Nosh Detox was later featured in Grazia, The Evening Standard of London, Tatler, Vogue, Wall Street Journal, and was the reason why many celebrities came to know the powerful, the magnetic, the charming Gita Sidhu Rob. She's also been featured in Sky News, BBC TV, as well as becoming a raw chef, health coach, and nutrition specialist, getting herself out of poverty and shifting her life for her children. Now, If you've ever heard of resilience times 100, and if this is the episode that is going to reframe your thoughts about how you can shift and change your life and the power of moving forward past hardships, this is the episode for you today. Gita is literally someone who is I can't even say. Firecracker is probably an underestimation. She is really literally going to rock your world in this episode and so much more. We dive into motherhood. We dive into circumstances and challenges and how she was born and raised and how that contributed to some of her high highs and her low lows. And oftentimes when life gives you lemons, I think in Gita's case, she's made tons and tons of lemonade. Now, I know you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I did diving into this, so without further ado, this week we are getting brave with the one and only Gita Sidhu Rob on The Brave Table. Gita, Wow. Welcome. You're here.
0: I'm so happy to be here. But yeah, I know what you mean. It feels a bit surreal.
1: It feels good. Yeah. I feel like the last time we were trying to play in a swimming pool with floaties and all of the things with amazing women. (laughs) Unicorn floaties. It's very important.
0: Unicorn floaties.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, welcome to the brave table. And, you know, when I think of you, I could not think of a more badass, like super powerful prowess woman to be sitting here with. So I want to start Mm -hmm. there. Where did you get that tenacity from? And is that something that you've always had? So I'm
0: an Indian from Africa. Mm. And I think that being that version always makes you kind of tenacious. My father was 19 when he traveled on the back of a pickup across the African continent, which is massive, let's say. He was. Whoa. Yeah. How how did that happen? Well, because he ended up there trying to... He was the younger son. We're a big... We're Siddhu's big family. So he wasn't going to inherit very much. So he was like, okay, uh, you know, off to Africa, young man type thing. Because thanks to the Brits. It was a colony, you know, so he came to Kenya. Then he learned English. So he was born in the UK. He was born in Born in Punjab. Okay. And he came from Punjab to... Kenya. Mm. He taught himself English by reading magazines and things. And he went from there in the back of a pickup to Malawi. And he ended up and I was born in Malawi. So I have such a strong concept around our cultural kind of DNA. Mm. So I think culturally, I was brought up to be, and I'm sure you are as well. I think I was brought up to be Tenacious is a good word. Determined. Mm -hmm. And then coming from there, and I came over to England on my 15th birthday.
1: Oh, wow. Were you the oldest child? Oh, you're the youngest.
0: And it was brutal. It was a real culture shock to come from how we lived to, you know, living in the West, which was sort of, we had our British colony version, but Mm -hmm. that was really, inner city London was a real shock to
1: the system. Okay. So, yeah, well, take us through what, and I you know, I've been to certain places in Africa, but Malawi, take us through what was that like being Indian in Malawi? I'm guessing there's a lot of Indians there? How was the dichotomy where it was there? Yeah,
0: a lot of Indians there because it's a colony. I always say I was colonized twice, like India and Malawi, you know, just (laughs) they were very determined to make sure I was colonized. So they did it twice. But it's a small landlocked country. A third of it is a lake. So it's sort of like a paradise type place. Mm. But we weren't black enough when we weren't white enough. Mm. And we were always not black enough and always not white enough, you know? And so it was a dictatorship and we were constantly hounded. And we were constantly successful because we were hounded. So my father would set up a business. Uh, He was a tobacco farmer, and then they would take away the land. And then he would set up this business, they would take away the license. So eventually he was like, sod it, I've got enough money, I'm just going to set up a lending institution. Because that's, you know, then he asked one of the ministers to pay him back the loan he'd made. So he ended up in jail. Oh my God. It was a very exciting upbringing, you know, on some <laughs> level. <laughs> so I think those are the foundations of who I am. So I'm, mm. I'm sort of unflappable, but I think on some level it led me to thinking life was dangerous. Mm. And I think that when you give off that vibration, then those things happen to you. My prayer became universe, let me learn these lessons without pain and without drama. <laughs> yeah. that, because there was so much drama inherent in our upbringings.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine I'm, I'm like feeling into that right now. And I'm sensing uh, kind of like your nervous system was like in fight short, or
0: flight short. a lot. Yeah, the whole time. And so and that nothing made that go away. I think that was inherent in me. Mm-hmm. I only honed it to being personal instead of familial and cultural mm-hmm. when I had kids. Mm. Because it's such an inherent shift in you. Well, it was in me. Let me not say it's for everybody. In me, it was an absolute shit, because until then, I lived on the basis. I come from this well-known upper-class Indian family and my job was to keep the family proud. Oh, yes. Right? Don't I you was... just hate that? Like <laughs> I didn't know enough <laughs> until it just was, you know, enough. pain. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, we're so dumb with this crap. And so I set fire
1: to all of that. And I was like, no. Okay. So did you set fire to it when you were growing up in inner city London? No. Or when did that shift? Because that had to have been a full culture shock when you were
0: growing up
1: a... when you had just moved. Yeah.
0: It was a very big culture shock. But I mean, you kind of, I just, and I had to fight battles that I was brought up so traditionally. Mm. And people who know me today find that very funny. But I have a friend who's Saudi and he says, you know, you might see me at a polo uh, field, but when I go home, I'll sit on the floor and eat with my hands. And that kind of really stuck in my head because I think that that's a cultural thing. I mean, like I brought up, my kids have Sikh names and although they're blonde and blue-eyed, so there is that minor problem. Um, (laughs) Little hiccup. Um, but, But they were brought up Sikh because that's Mm -hmm. how I was brought up. So it was this very traditional upbringing. And then I came out and I came to school in England and suddenly all the doors were open. And the only thing that was there was how I was brought up as a kind of a barometer for what was acceptable and not acceptable. Who speaks like that? You know, Mm. I mean, like if you told my kids, this is not acceptable, I feel like they would die laughing. (laughs) I'm almost certain, but I fought it. I made Mm -hmm. decisions against it because I stood for parliament Mm. and I was the first non-white woman in the United Kingdom to stand for Parliament. I had a
1: big drum wait, that wait, I was wait, beating. So, wait, wait, wait. So, 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 wait. You stood for Parliament. So you like ran for office. Yeah. Oh my god. And I was no, no, no. Not only did I run for office, but I was in my
0: twenties, and I was the only non-white woman that the first that had ever done. The that.
1: first non-white woman. Yeah. To run. That for went parliament. Done well. So that was really exciting. Oh my gosh, how was that? That was a really long way, a long
0: time ago. It was interesting. It turned out that I didn't know it was a big deal because I was flying in and out of Moscow. I was a lawyer and I was working, you know, I didn't understand, like, I got selected. I was like, thanks, went off to Moscow to finish my day job, came back and answer phones, you remember those things? I had 57 messages and I had blown up my answer phone from every major TV, every major, and, and, you know, newspaper, I was on the front cover of everything. Thing. I was on the front. So I've been in the public eye for a really long time, mm-hmm. but I had to teach myself. How to do it. So I would go Mm. on TV and I loved wearing scarves and I hated makeup. Mm. So I was such a tomboy. I'd go on TV with a scarf and no makeup. And I was like, just send me the tape afterwards. I was like, oh my God, Mm. a disembodied head floating on the we're not doing that. So every time I watched a show, I would tweak and change because you know I didn't know what media training was or how to get anywhere. You know. Yeah. And in this day and age, there's so much of that available. So I made myself good at TV. Mm. I made myself better at media and publicity. Mm. And I taught myself on the way very quickly, nine months. I don't even know what to tell you. I was in my 20s. I was on every political show, every huge political show. Like I'd be sitting next to household names. I was taking debates on shows that were getting three or four million viewers.
1: So you were in your 20s and you had literally moved to a new country, probably like... Seven, eight seven eight years, years before, before yeah. that. So That looks,
0: sounds so mad. When I, I look back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did that. So then my mother was like, I can't believe you would do this. Good girls don't do this. And I was like, daddy, you know, I, I because my father and I was so close, and he's like, shh, just go do it. <laughs> so I'm doing it. So you had the approval oh, from your dad? Only my father. My mother never approved of anything. But what do you think that was attributed to? I mean, it was really interesting because then about three years after that, I met somebody who grew up with my mother who said, wow, you remind me of your mother. I'm like, thanks. Really? This traditional diehard straight-laced woman. And she was like, oh, hell no. There were marches in the university to say to change things. Your mother led them. (gasps) It's like, oh my gosh, she never told me. So there was a place where I think she thought that if you put your head above the parapet, you will get hurt. Don't do it. And that was with my parents. That was never an option. Yeah. I was always going to do that.
1: Well, and so, and I wanted to kind of like stop you there for a second because there's so much, you know, your life, I feel like you're taking us on this like incredible movie and journey and your life has been this incredible movie. And... So kind of wanna go back to, you know, even like the bravery it took to stand up and to even go into politics at in your twenties, where was that coming from? And I just and what was the you know, what was the impetus? You know, Nita, I hate
0: injustice. I don't even know how to say it. It makes me so angry that people don't have enough. It makes me so angry that people who don't have enough don't have a voice. It makes me so angry that it used to make me angry. And I don't get angry, I get even, but that's a different thing entirely. It used to just upset me so much that there were people that couldn't get hurt and I could always get hurt. I didn't know why, but I could always get hurt. And I was like, you're just not going to ignore me. Let me say all that stuff. And I'm still doing that today. I'm still saying, so here's what you don't want to know. And I'm going to make sure you hear it. Yeah. And I'm always going to be that person. As I got older, I was kind of like allowed the label of activist to kind of sink into myself. Mm. I'm always going to be an activist mm. one way or another. And
1: yeah. And how would you define your definition of activism?
0: When I die, I want to know that I didn't leave the world the same. Mm. Mm. The cutest version of it is probably the one where you put your finger in the bowl of water and all the ripples come out. (laughs) I'll be that one. (laughs) Because now nobody remembers I was the first brown woman that stood for parliament and there were so many, you know? (sighs) And then I felt sometimes like I had failed. I was like, you know, I because I had to stop because my son got so sick. He then spent the next year in hospital when he was born,
1: and I remember. When he was, okay, so yeah. you had your first child when I was campaigning. Oh my goodness! Because you know that's a clever thing to do. Like, as high-achieving women, we do put a ton of things on our plate.
0: I don't think we're thinking way. of it that way. We're kind of yeah. like, oh, okay, we'll manage,
1: you know? Yeah. Until life kind of happens. So did that take a toll in your, in your run or in your kind of service? Well,
0: I mean, I have to say, you know, I'd be breastfeeding in the well of a car. So then they'd bring the baby and I didn't want anyone to see me breastfeeding because the press would follow me around because I was the first brown. So what we would do is push back the passenger seat of the car and I'd sit in the well and then I'd breastfeed him.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And then what was that next
0: chapter of your life? Then. My son. My son was the next seven years. He was so ill. And it broke up my marriage because he was so ill. You know, it does. It, it carries a cost. And they were saying, you know, what we,
1: was, what was, what he mean? was
0: allergic to an injection he was given. Oh my and he goodness. developed all these things. And then he ended up with eczema, asthma, anaphylaxis. Oh, so really? he would die every time somebody gave him the wrong food. I mean, his heart would stop beating. Oh, there was no. a stage where they had to resuscitate and he was in a coma for a week. And it was just horrendous. Oh,
1: my goodness. Yeah, it
0: was really horrendous. It's life-changing, that stuff yeah and I think that makes you tenacious more than anything because I was the only person that was there to look after him and I my family weren't there my in-laws weren't there and that was the time I was like you know what I thought that being a good girl meant that you would help me
1: Mm.
0: and it turned out it meant don't be a bother Mm. and there must have been a part of me that thought I am burning this down around me, never again, Mm. you know? And so, and I was alone again, still in my 20s, still with this child, no idea. The medical profession didn't have answers for what was going to happen. They were like, it's incurable. I was like, I actually don't think that's a word. Let me just go have a look. And then I spent the next seven years curing him. You cured him.
1: 100%. Oh my goodness. 100%. So did that then take you into this journey of- health? of health. So you went from politics to health.
0: Yeah. Well, I had like years where I just didn't sleep because he couldn't sleep at night. I was a single parent. I was the breadwinner. What was going on in
1: your mind at this point?
0: Oh, hell! (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) My parents, I mean, we're very wealthy, right? So to be clear, we came from this incredibly wealthy family. They gave me somewhere to live and that was it. Because by now my father was getting very sick and my mother was very unhappy about my life choices
1: oh wow about you having
0: a child and divorced and and not staying with him and
1: oh wow yeah
0: yeah so I how did I feel I felt lonely
1: Mm.
0: I felt lonely and And your
1: parents weren't in London at the
0: time no they never left Malawi so I embraced so you were here in at 15 by yourself Well, I stayed with my aunt for a couple of years. Then I went to boarding school and then I came out of boarding school and I went to university and then...
1: Wow. So they never left Malawi Mm -mm. and you were this trailblazer.
0: Well, my brother had been there too, but he was in the north and we weren't very close. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: I don't know if I was a trailblazer.
1: Maybe I was. I mean, yeah, yeah. There, There you go. That's the other thing that we have to receive... You don't think like that, you know? (laughs) Right. No, and it's a, I think it's a, you know, it's a powerful skill set to, you know, to have. And I want to just honor that journey that you had. So one of the interesting things was because I thought I had
0: failed, right? I hadn't gone and pursued because I had to stop and look after my son. And then 10 years later, I was on a stage with a lady from the House of Lords and she said, and it was so amazing how the universe does this. She stood up and spoke and she said, the reason I'm in the House of Lords, she was the first Asian woman in the House of Lords, is she said, I was watching a woman on TV and she was running for office. And I thought, if she can, I must be able to. And so she said, thank you, Geeta.'" And I was like, oh, okay. It wasn't a waste of time. Yes. I <laughs> was so happy. I was and like crying on stage.
1: A uh, uh, higher
0: up. It's like your Senate. Okay. Oh, okay. oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So and I was so happy that that, that that ripple,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, mm-hmm. so
1: in those terms, yes. I'll take the trailblazing. And I kind of want to just pinpoint, you know, to anybody who is kind of given the circumstance of, you know, and, and many times we kind of get into our victim mode and we get into our suck and we get stuck in our suck. And for you, you are being brave and like not even taking this diagnosis as an O and you were just saying yes to these new things and doing it all on your own. I'm scared. Shitless. So, take I have us to say, yeah. every day I was so, scared. And so, take us through that because what advice could you give to somebody else who's kind of stuck in their own circumstance? I always feel when you're stuck, it's the fear of taking that risk, that
0: step. But I, I always thought, is it worse to stay where I am? Mm. And the minute I had that thought, I knew it was worse to stay where I was. And so, I was always going to take the next step. But I hated, not, you know, I remember that there was this phase where I would in meditations go, just, just, they will be done. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want your will to be done. I want my will to be done. <laughs> <laughs> if we could just negotiate that, I'd be good. And I would get,
1: hmm. Oh. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> well, okay. So then give us this bridge between then politics, your son getting sick and now getting into the field of health and actually even curing your son.
0: There wasn't an option. There wasn't a bridge. There just was no option. I had no choice. I went back to being a lawyer to pay the bills. And I just was constantly called out to go into hospital. And I, I remember coming home because you ha- I had to spend the night there. You know, I mean, I was terrified. Yeah. And in those days, you didn't spend the night at the hospital. So I, was, I was, they had these incontinence pads and I used to sleep on them on, on the floor.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: Oh and I remember goodness. coming home. And I had to go to work and I closed the apartment door behind me and I leant on it and I slid down to the ground and I must have fallen asleep because I woke up because I had a friend who would then come in, someone I paid to sit with him during the day. And I woke up like three and a half hours later and I hadn't left the floor. And it was so horrendous. Mm-hmm. It was just horrible. You know, and, and I was just like, well, okay, I, uh, he has this terrible life. How do I make it better? And then that's what I did. And then I had two more kids and then I ended up, it was what I need to do mm. kind of thing. So when I got to the stage where I was like, okay, I actually cannot go to work anymore. I have to stay at home. How do I make money at home? And I found these journals. And I remember the first month I had made like Five hundred and sixty pounds, and the second month I had made like a thousand pounds, and then the third month I had made two thousand pounds. And I remember writing down how much money I was making in by work. creating these journals. No, by, by I was journaling how much money I was making while sitting at home. Oh, okay. and working from home because oh. I didn't know how to work from home. I was a right. lawyer.
1: Oh, right. I had no idea
0: how to be an entrepreneur.
1: Yes, yes. I didn't course. know what it was. Right. And so, when did that light bulb just kind of go on for you and say? I can actually really do this. Last week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe a bit earlier.
0: <laughs> Does the light bulb go on? I'm like, I don't know. I never felt... I think I was very lucky because I just had no choice. Mm. I was the family's breadwinner. I was a single parent. I had three kids under the age of seven. There was a little hop skip and going jump there, but I just...
1: You had three under the age of seven. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Mm. And I had no choice. I didn't know. I don't know what else you're meant to do. The only difference between me and any other mother, right? So every mother's going to look at their kids and think, well, how do I help? How do I do? Women do incredible things. They work six jobs. They do all these things. I think the only difference was that I grew up very wealthy. And so I knew that was available for me. Yeah. I lived with very powerful people all the time. None of it was my power. It was always their power. Mm-hmm. And I just had to marry it and it would all be fine. <laughs> And I, so they tell you, right, Right. <laughs> you know, because where was I going to create my own? Right. I was like, so that worked on me, not. And so I, I, I sort of was like, okay, well, there's got to be a way. And then it just, I had no choice and I wanted to do it in Chanel. Mm.
1: <laughs> I'm of just course. Saying. Well, why? Of you course. know, because be, if you're gonna, you, you gotta be bougie about it. I mean.
0: Well, you know, I think so. And I think that we, as women, tend to think, okay, so I'll just sit here and I'll do my best. And it's okay, but I'm just doing my best. I'm like, screw that crap. Let me do my best. I'll do it in Balenciaga. Well, not so much Balenciaga anymore. I'll I know, do it again can't, can't Chanel, even say that word anymore. Right? Yeah. I'll do it in <laughs> Chanel and I'll do it in with diamonds and Louis Vuitton because that's important to me. Mm. And I have never thought that that was a problem. Mm. I am entitled that. And I always bless my ex-husband because he said to me, if you would just come back, this is all waiting for you. Mm. And I was like, and you could just go die, couldn't you? Because that would work (laughs) for me too. But you know, you're not allowed to shoot them when you divorce them. So I'm not sure what you're allowed to do. But you know, I was like, I'll have to go make my own.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think that your perspective, your humor, and your take on such really incredible adversity. And, you know, I share that just even in my own story as well. And I mm. think that seeing you and and even when I met you, I'm like, oh, wow, I see this like powerful woman, but I'm like, oh, wow, I feel like she's like a mirror for me as well. And such a lived life, even though I didn't even know the full gravity of like what you had Fully lived and experienced. And I'd love to hear your thought around this. There's definitely something around, you know, the resiliency that is built, especially when you've gone through the contrast of the dark times to then, and even have expanders in your life to say, Yeah, I actually, I've seen that growing up. And I kind of want that wealth and want that abundance. And that's there for me. And so there's no kind of, I absolutely <laughs> miss my private plane more
0: than anything. <laughs> I have no idea what kind of means. I'm like, I've been rich and I've been poor and rich beats poor every time,
1: every time. <laughs> so for some who are thinking that, you know, they're, they're in this circumstance, what is your take? on building that circumstance of, or that the mindset of abundance? I think that it's two things. Because you've experienced both. Yes, I have. I have. Because when I
0: walked out of my last marriage, I still had parents that were like, we're not going to, my mother, good luck, go back to him, you know, or good luck kind of thing. And so I was like, I am so bloody minded, right? I think that's probably what it is. I think you called it tenacity. I like that so much more than being bloody minded. Okay, was,
1: you guys call it bloody minded. I think we would in the States say stubborn. Okay, I'll it? take that too. Okay, is that? Yeah, I'll take all of those. <laughs> I'm just trying to translate It is. Bloody minded is stubborn. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. And
0: I was like, you know what? I refuse to live a life that is horrendous. Mm. And I refuse for my children to live a life that is horrendous. And there are things I would do for my kids I would never do for myself. And what I wanted was for my children to have the life I grew up with, with the the lifestyle that they were entitled to mm. and to not be punished for the choices I had made. Oh, yeah. That was how it felt. Mm. You know, because the guilt and the shame was crippling. Yeah. Then there was the unfairness and the injustice of it that I had helped to build a company that I wasn't allowed anywhere near Mm -hmm. and I wasn't allowed the fruits of it. To me, that's unfair. Mm -hmm. And so if I could either come back and be a good girl, and we know how well that works for me, or (laughs) I could go and do it myself. And then I was like, well, how do I do it myself? That was what was the journey for me. That has been the biggest journey in my life. How do I do this for myself? And the thing with resilience is it irritates me. I feel like you're going to be resilient. You'll bounce back. I'm not a frigging trampoline. I'm just not. I hate resilience. (laughs) I want to thrive and shine, as I said, in Chanel. You know, I don't need to be likable. That's really not my goal. My goal is for me to be the most powerful person. I humanly can be on a daily basis. Mm. And that's about me for me. So I'm not powerful Mm. in relation to someone else. I'm not richer in relation. I'm just for me. Mm. And so my biggest, I don't know, I hope this doesn't come across as arrogant because there is a humbleness in it for me, because the person I'm judging myself against always is myself.
1: Mm. And
0: I think that's almost the hardest place
1: to be. It's the hardest place, but I think that you're definitely onto something because most people Mm -hmm. would judge themselves and compare themselves with other people. And I think that, you know, for you, what a beautiful spot to land where yes, the crippling self-doubt can actually keep us sitting, but you've had this incredible rewiring where it's allowed you to have this huge vision for yourself that I think most people who are listening, and I know even myself is like, yes, I want that. Like you are sharing the things that most people are so afraid to even say out loud or even to themselves. And where did you get that strength? Because it sounds like that relationship with your mom was not repaired. And have you had that repair conversation or is there a... a No, no, we're good. ...forgiveness now? She's going to be 89 next month
0: and, you know, so we're good. And she lives three streets away from me and (laughs) she's an Indian mother, so she's annoying as hell, but she's good. She behaved incredibly badly. In fact, when I mothered, I literally knew how to be a mother by doing the opposite of what my mother did. Mm. That was the only way. My father, bless him, loved me more than anything in the world except golf. Golf was like really close. (laughs) It's really tight. And my mother was not that person. Mm. Where where do you think that was for her? It's just not my thing. It's Mm. her thing. I've just made my peace with it. There's parts of it you think, oh, was that why? And then it's utterly irrelevant. I've had a really crappy things happen to me Mm -hmm. and none of them are my children's fault. Yeah. And so I think we choose that. One of the things that I had to teach myself was it wasn't enough to say no to something. Mm. I had to say yes to things too. And so that's what I teach because you can't rewire your brain by saying no to things. Mm. You know, we think we can, like, I am never going to drink again, or I'm never going to date this type of man again, or I'm never, it was never, it doesn't work well enough mm-hmm. because it didn't lead me to the levels of abundance I required. Mm. Private school in England is very bloody expensive. yes, so, yes. <laughs> So I, and I was paying for that my on my own, you know. So I was saying- For three you know, children. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was a very hard life actually in those terms, but they were all my choice. Nobody asked me to do that. In fact, everybody wanted me to do the opposite. And I was like, this matters to me. It matters to me that my children are brought up in an environment where they're safe. It matters to me they're educated well, you know, mm. not that anyone's ever going to use it, I'm sure, mm. you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was a complete, (laughs) as I watch my daughter get yet another tattoo, I'm like, oh my God, you know, that traumatizes me immensely. But you know, here we are.
1: Here we are. Here we are. So who is Geeta today and how does she support people? So I
0: have ended up being in the weirdest possible fashion, a coach. And it was entirely by accident because I was running this health and wellness business, Nosh Detox. And I nosh had, Detox. Nosh Detox. And I had a lot of natural, organic, safe, and healthy. So oh, it was Nosh. Oh, I
1: love that.
0: And I had all these women walk in the door and they would say, Oh, I want to lose weight. And I was like, From where? Like we cut your hair, cut your nails. You have nowhere extra, you know, exquisite women. And we started with Gwyneth Paltrow being one of our first clients and bless the woman. She just recommended us again and again. I just want to take the site down and write Gwyneth Paltrow loves us, but no one would let me do that. (laughs) And so I had some of the most famous women in the country walk through the door from Nigel Swarovski, Jessica Rothschild, all these incredible women, Stella McCartney. Oh, wow. They'd come to London. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some of them lived in London. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three of those. No, they lived in London in mm-hmm. those times. And they would come through the door and, and it would, they would have issues. And it would, I ended up being a coach by accident. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. I was just like, no, 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 don't do that. Do this. And somebody said, like, you're a great coach. I'm like, oh, is that what that is? I was just telling people what to do. And then I had trained as a healer. Because mm-hmm. I had been trying to find a way to make my son better. One of the things that really worked was healing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I cannot afford this woman. She's such an expensive, she, the healer was so expensive. I was like, I'll go to school and learn how to be a healer. Oh. So I signed myself up for doing healing class at in the evenings, which is the funniest thing <laughs> in the world. So then I became a medical intuitive.
1: Oh, wow. And
0: I also did not know what that was, to be fair, until I found what Caroline Mace's book, you know, five years later. I was like, oh, that's what it is.
1: So, a lot (laughs) of that's what I'm doing right
0: now. (laughs) I want to say that sounds really clever. None of it was planned. It just kind of the universe came in and went, we're going to do this, now we're going to do this. So, it was like a ping pong, you know, those little things. (laughs) Right. That's how I felt. And then a book fell on my head when I was pregnant, walking past a bookshelf, and it was the Conversations with God with Neil Donna Walsh. Yes. And then that all came and then I went and actually qualified as a coach because I found that when I was talking to people, I could so clearly see the blocks mm. that were keeping them stuck. Mm. And then the universe, I think to bless it, but it was a blessing, sent me people that were dying of cancer. Oh, wow. And because we would give them high, high dose vitamin C and juice fast and all the stuff. And I worked with these people for like about five years and we had three to five a week That came in Wow And when you're dealing With that much death And you're dealing With people who are About to die It just shifts you In a very clear level But what it did Was it meant that If you came and sat In front of me I had 15 to 20 minutes Mm-hmm. of clarity, mm-hmm. where I could work out where you were being stuck. Mm-hmm. So I could say, here, if you did these five things, they will help you. And then you're taking on the responsibility and you have to go, it's not my responsibility. I'm here to help. And let me see if I can. So it was a PhD in, in humanity wow, very quickly. And so I went back and I trained as a coach. I trained doing, you know, in, in gut health, I trained in hormone health. So I'm a coach. Turns yeah. out. Turns out you're a coach. Yeah. I don't know what, could people are your life coach. I'm like, I wouldn't hire me as a life coach. Um, I'd be like, because coaches, I think, are nice people. I'm like very clear. It's really funny because people kind of go, how do you find them? I'm like, I honestly could not tell you. I, they just come in the door and yeah. it sounds like, it sounds really irritating. If I was listening to someone say that, I'd be like... Stop being annoying and tell me. Uh, but but yeah, no, I have the, some of the most famous people in the world, and their household names. Yeah, you know they're so incredibly famous. And then there was a part of me it was like, can I work with people like me? Like, where's the normal people? Well, okay, admittedly, I think I'm normal.
1: And um, well, and that's well, and okay. So as you're sh- sharing this, I'm like, you know, so many people even thinking or watching this is kind of like, wow, she's had such a beautiful expanse and experience of life. It's no wonder you are the one to be that shepherd leading the leaders.
0: Yes, because when you are leading, you can be very isolated. People don't tell you the truth and people are not upfront. And I have a stupid tax. I have a stupid tax and I don't care how famous you are. If you're stupid, we're having that conversation. I'm taxing you. <laughs> so what you know? does
1: that mean? Tell us, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends.
0: I mean, we had like, oh, I had this guy who was like the third richest man in his country. And he used to come in and some of that rubbish that came out of his mouth. And I'm like, this is stupid. You do understand that this is just stupid. And I think he'd never met a brown person before, let alone a woman, let alone somebody. Who... So I made his t- stupid tax. He started the stupid tax. I made him buy me those little rice Uh, balls. Mm -hmm. And I had a basket of them by the thing. And every time he said something stupid, I threw a rice (laughs) thing at him because he annoyed me because it was like, no. And there is, it's so important to have somebody who will be, I am highly unjudgmental. Mm. I honestly if you're mean to someone I'm really going to get in your face outside of that you can be as stupid or as well I don't care how much money you have I don't care how famous you are I don't care how much you hate yourself Mm. I'm a really good space for that Mm. so that's what I do that's why I think they come in the door and I will never make an allowance for your fame I will be more clear to you because I think if you're going to impact the lives of millions get on with it Mm. and do it with a good heart and do it better yeah. Why are you here if you're not going to do it better? Like the Duchess of York is a client of mine and she, blessed the woman, I love her dearly. She's such a nice woman. And we were talking about refugee kids. And I was like, you know, there are 24.5 million children. Mm. I was like, so, and she was like, oh no, do you want to know how much I do? And so she has like a 10 page CV. <laughs> so, and I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. You know why if you're famous in this day and age when you have so much access wouldn't you change the lives of people around you mm. right so and i think everybody needs a a straight talking big sister type <laughs> who gets drunk with you afterwards
1: i mean that's the it's, it's the best and i know that you have a, an actual program for us lay people who would love to actually be under your tutelage and your mentorship and actually really learn from... Those sound like such big words, Uh, tutelage and mentorship. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and, and learn from you. And so tell us, you know, what that program is.
0: So I set up Rewire at the beginning of lockdown because we rang 1,500 women in my mm. team. And Amazing. we were like, how are you doing? And they're like, we hate our lives. <laughs> we're overwhelmed. We don't know what to do. We can't manage this process. I'm stuck in a relationship where I can see I'm doing too much. And, you know, but I'm still also the breadwinner. And suddenly it came really upfront and focused for all these women, how much they were having to do every day. And I was like, okay. So I created Rewire. Rewire has one price and that's it. You get access for life. Mm. And it's not even that expensive because I have a wonderful tomato farmer from Zambia
1: mm. who
0: gives me like, the most she can afford every month. Ah. And I just love that, you know, because good, why shouldn't you? we do this? And what we do in Rewire is just teach you how to take yourself seriously as a woman.
1: Mm.
0: Do not go and get your nails done and say you're too busy to eat. Mm. That's unacceptable. Yeah, because you're the most important thing. Mm. And I think my goal is to have as many women as possible, feel their power Mm. as much as possible. I don't even know if you can do that. When you feel your power, you just feel your power. Mm. And if every woman does that, we don't have to have conversations about gender pay, inequality, none of those things, because the purity and the power of our voices Mm. will create our spaces. We wouldn't have to go to someone else to say, help us. We'll help ourselves.
1: That is powerful. And I know that for our Brave Table guests and our community here, this program is going to be starting soon. Correct? No, it runs. Okay. And you can join it at any stage. Oh, perfect. So, all right. Well, uh, all of it. Well, there you go. And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Yes, please. Amazing. Okay. And before we get into our igniting it round, where can everybody... Find and learn more about you, Gita, because you are just a firecracker.
0: <laughs> in a nice calm way and in Shem. Gita Sidhu Rob on anything. Honestly, Instagram's okay. Gita Rob. TikTok. I love TikTok. Gita Sidhu Gita Siddhu Rob. Okay. Git Sid Rob.com. So it's G. So is it Gita
1: Rob, the whole Yeah. Okay. So
0: G-E-E-T-A-S-I-D-H-U-R-O-B-B dot com. or at Gitsidurob on Rob On all the platforms.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Okay. What does it mean to be brave at this stage of life? I I just think every day I need
0: to be brave. I think with everything I do every day, somebody walks in the door. I feel that I have to be brave if somebody says help me because I want to help them. I feel like I have to be brave because my daughter wants tattoos and piercings. (laughs) That really requires shit tons of bravery, I'll tell you here and now. You don't Uh, have a tattoo. No. Oh, okay. I mean, I kind of want one, but I'm like... Get one with her. Oh, please don't. The number of times that she suggested that. I think I have to be brave when my son lost his job in the pandemic. It's the things that that really touch you, you know? Mm-hmm. And when there's a woman trying to... I have a 24-year-old in Rewire, and she's the youngest person in Rewire, and I'm so proud of her. But it took bravery to... a have her want to do it and me let her in, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think I'm afraid often of everything. And I have to remind myself that if I'm brave, that's the only option I have.
1: Mm. Wow. And okay, before we get into our igniting last few questions, it has been such a pleasure to sit with you. It is thank you, such Likewise. an honor to deepen our connection and into the many things that we're we're doing and to have you here in Austin. Right. As we're recording this, this is Gita's coming in person. In. I'm so happy. Yes, for our book launch that we're celebrating. And I'm just so so honored to have you here. Oh, I was very happy to come. Okay, so conversation card or affirmation card, which one would you like to pick?
0: I don't know, affirmation, I guess. Go for it. I was going to, what are we going to have a conversation about? I feel like <laughs> that's what we've been doing. <laughs> what would we possibly find to talk about? Oh, there are, there, I feel like there's definitely more. <laughs> I, I <guess>. agree. <laughs> I love this. I just think that creating these cards is so freaking clever. Okay. okay. <laughs> I know the sucky moments will not last forever. Even when my emotions tell me otherwise, I am never stuck and I'm in constant flow. Mm. And I embrace that fully. I agree with that. Amazing. That describes me completely.
1: Right. What word describes the season of life that we're in for you? Power. Yeah. It's always power. Yeah. Gita Siddhi Rob, What an honor.
0: Thank you, Nita. Uh, I'm so happy to be here with you.
1: It's a privilege. Uh, until next time on the Brave Table. Whew, I hope you are all fired up after that episode. More on Gita and how you can get connected with her. Go ahead and follow her at Gita Sidhu Rob on IG. That's G E E T A S I D H U R O B B. You can also find her on the noshdetox.com or on her website, Gita Sidhu Rob com for more on all of her offerings. And if you want more juice on dismantling the idea of unconventional, go ahead and check out episode 100, How Your Greatest Obstacles Can Guide You to Your Dream Life with Adrusha Apana. Or... Episode 119, Speaking Your Truth and How to Let Go of Resentment with myself, it's a solo cast. Or episode 81, Taking Ownership of Your Life, Your Shit, and Your Stories with the one and only Danielle Gartner. Now, loves, this was a power packed episode. Hopefully, you can share this with a queen that you think can use a little bit more power in her life and being brave and stepping out of her comfort level. If this is that episode that did that for you, I would so love a five-star review. This gets us going. This gets us into the hands and really grows our community. And you can go ahead. We are also sharing ways that you can get connected and you get a free gift when you screenshot your five-star review to support at globalgrit.co. That is support at globalgrit.co. And you will get my five-day healing journey practice. Now, if you haven't already watched us or followed us on YouTube, go ahead. It is Neetha Bhushan on YouTube and or send us your stories and how This episode has shifted your life, made you more brave or made you take some brave action at The Brave Table on IG. I will see you next time. Cheers to more brave moments in your life.